Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the MMQB NFL podcast. I'm Conor. We've got Albert Breer here, and this was the week where the undefeated fell. We're going to start right there. We're just going to get into it because you know no one wants to hear me talk about my weekend. Even though I didn't do any pumpkin picking or anything, Albert. Are you are you doing any big fall festival things, or are you are, is this too early right now? I do zero pumpkin picking. I we did go like to like the uh... wait. You don't pumpkin pick at all. No, we um we did what Emily's super into how so our our uh, our oldest was born on Halloween and Emily's super into it so she decorates the house a lot. Um, you'll find this as your kids get older though. Like we used to do like the pumpkin picking, the apple picking, you know, going to whatever on a Saturday afternoon, and then they got older and uh, and now it's like we have football and soccer and dance and all this different stuff. So. Um, like I, that's one thing I have found is like a lot of those things we did when the kids were, I would say younger than five sort of start to get thrown out the window once their schedules fill up with their own things, man. That's what you have had for, for, for you, you. You got, you always got to make time for apple cider donuts. I feel like that's like, Oh no, you, but you can, you can buy those. You don't need to, you know, there doesn't need any, but need to be any elaborate trip to, to, to go and do that. That's fair. We decorated, so my kids kind of got wind of Halloween as a thing, probably around like mid-September, very early September, and mm-hmm. they found the decorations in the basement, and they were like, what's the difference? Why don't we just throw it out there now? And so my wife yeah. and I, like lunatics, were putting tombstones. So, so you're and- like the people who put Christmas stuff out before Thanksgiving now, except for Halloween. Oh yeah, but so so that's see that that's the problem, right? So we I am always November one Christmas lights. Always. Oh so always you are forever. so you are a pre Thanksgiving Christmas Christmas decoration. Two hundred percent. And I get so much shit for it. But my thing is it is such an undertaking. It is such it is such an undertaking. You know, you have to be on the roof. You are have you, to so, be, so you're like legitimately Clark Griswold then? I am. I have Okay. I have the icicle lights, I wrap all the railings, I wrap all the trees, and then I have, every year for Christmas I get more, 
but they're like the three foot inflatable animals with like scarves and hats. And I think I'm up to like nine or 10 of those. And so my thing is, why would you want to be freezing your ass off on a ladder on like November 30th when you can do it November one, it's crisp, it's a beautiful fall day, and then you're lighting up the neighborhood for everybody else, you know? I don't know. I, I take pride in that. But now we're early Halloween and early Christmas, and I think we're people so are like starting that, to... That, like, covers, like, the first half of the school year almost then. Yeah. Because like, that, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Like, that's... Yeah, so we had... um. So, like I said, my wife's really into Halloween, and last week we bought a... um. So, there's, like, this street... You guys... I'm sure you've seen this, but, like, one thing, like... I feel like you always see this. Like every town has these streets, right? Like where like everybody on the street goes nuts for Christmas or everyone on the street goes nuts for Halloween, right? Like, right. And so like there's this like little like I, – I don't even know if I'd call it a street, but it's there's like four houses on it. It's like a long driveway, right? And I guess for decades they've done this just such an elaborate Halloween display on Halloween, like on Halloween itself. It is like unbelievable, right? Like just like looks like it's like, – looks like you're in a movie set. When you go, when you walk through it, and um, you know, there's this older couple that ran the whole thing for years and years, and so this was the year they decided, like, our kids are older, we can't do it anymore. We're not going to do it. So they sold all their stuff, and the what they called it was a yard sale. Basically, they called it the ghoul sale. Right? Was um, basically at the end of our driveway. Which meant last week when I got home from the hotel after staying up all night writing and everything, I was helping uh, the, 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 the older guy who owned all this stuff walk a 12-foot skeleton, which weighed like legitimately 90 or 100 pounds, <laughs> down his driveway and up my driveway. And now, and I will send you a picture, Connor, to prove this, and you can tweet it out with the podcast link. We now have a 12-foot skeleton at the- Hell uh, yeah. As you, as you turn down our driveway, you can see our house. It's it's created a weird thing where my wife and I went to Home Depot or Lowe's the other day to pick out cabinet fixtures, which was you know really solid day. And uh, <laughs> it is the entire store now is they've got Christmas out now for people like me who do their decorations November one, but all right. the Halloween decorations are out for the people like everybody else who didn't even think about decorating for the Halloween until this week. Yeah, normal people, and so. Every home improvement store now is just a vomit of Santa Clauses, fake snow, but then fake spider webs and massive spiders. And it's like this weird sort of like I can't my brain can't wrap its head around it. And I think we have to we have to set hard limits. I know I'm part of the problem, but it's like McDonald's breakfast, right? McDonald's defined when breakfast started and ended. And then they they went haywire. Now you can get an egg McMuffin whenever you want, which is 1030, right? I think it was 10, 30 10. or 11. Yeah. Oh, no, it was, it was 11. You're right. It was 11. I think it was 11. Yeah. Yeah. And and I feel like we need to bring that back. We need to bring back some limitations, but I'm part of the problem. Anyway, Albert, the 49ers lost a football game, and we'll start <laughs> there. They're no longer undefeated. And uh, I, you know, so I went back and I watched it this morning, and my initial thoughts here were great win for, for, for Cleveland. I don't think anybody has added more value singular person to a team in an off season more than Jim Schwartz has mm-hmm. the Browns. Yeah. Um, that said, um, you know, I, I counted three missed touchdowns by San Francisco that they probably have on another day. There was a missed yeah. field goal to, to end it. There was Christian McCaffrey getting injured. All that said, nice win for Cleveland. I feel like this is one of those that, 
you know, and I wrote this. I okay, half of what I wrote is sort of a jab still at signing Deshaun Watson, but I do think this is a win that legitimizes the the right part of their build, right? They had years, they had tons of draft equity, they had a lot of chances to try and fail, but they did build a defensive football team capable of surviving in the AFC North with the Ravens and the Steelers. That is not an easy thing to do, uh-huh. and they've done that. And they hit on high draft picks, like you they said. Did. Like they they hit on Miles Garrett, they hit on Denzel Ward. Um, you know, they've got depth in the secondary now, and Greg Newsom and, and, and Emerson playing alongside Ward. And, um, you know, you just kind of look at them across the board, even some like, you know, free agent signings like Zadarius Smith, who seems to wear out his welcome after a year and two, a year or two everywhere, but it's like a good short term signing, you know, like they've really, they built a defense that's athletic at every level. And they've, you know, found a defensive coordinator to unlock all of that. Who's got that group playing so fast. And that's what I hear from everybody, um, you know, who's there about what Schwartz has done is he's got them playing fast, which I think has unlocked the potential that those guys have as athletes with all the high draft picks that are there. And then I just think, you know, I think it's like an offense now that understands what it has to do to win a game. (laughs) You know, I know that sounds weird, but with no Deshaun Watson and no Nick Chubb, it's sort of like, and you watch how PJ Walker managed that game and some of the plays that he made down the stretch. Um, it's an offense that knows what it is that like knows it can't play outside of the lines or it's going to take away from the strength of the team. And so I, what I think will be interesting, Connor, is if they can get Deshaun to play the way that he did against Tennessee consistently, because he played really well in that Tennessee game, got hurt, went out. And, you know, I think they'd finally start started to figure out where, they wanted that offense to be what they wanted the offense to look like with Deshaun Watson as the quarterback. And it's been a year and a half process for them to get there. So when he comes back, if he can hit the ground running the way that he was playing against Tennessee, I don't know. I mean, you know, the Bengals have – I think the Bengals are turning the corner now, but they're still 3-3. Three and three. The Ravens are 4-2. and two. Are they world beaters? I don't know. I mean, it just it feels like it might actually be a more winnable division than we would have thought six weeks ago. I agree with you. Um, my question is, and uh, I I wrote this in the column yesterday. I said, is it too soon to ask this? A lot of Browns fans in the mentions. Yes, they say too soon to ask this. But what if what if Deshaun never becomes Deshaun in Houston, right? And and, and I know that's a big what if, and I know he had a year off of football, and I know we're nine games mm-hmm. in, but you know, I, I went through his nine games yesterday, and I think it was like four of four or five of the nine games, his quarterback rating was within 20 to 25 points of what PJ Walker's was yesterday, which is about like a was like a 45.5, right? Yeah. And you know, granted. Baker Mayfield, Josh Dobbs, a lot of these guys are going to turn into pumpkins at some point later in the year. But, you know, you did the the, you did all the hard work right. And like you're saying, did you need to do this ultimately? Like, did you need to do this? Here's the 
that 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 to me is like the million dollar question because mm-hmm. what if you what if you had Derek Carr? What if you had Jimmy Garoppolo? What if you had Ryan Tannehill? What if you had like any of these guys that would play on schedule within the offense and didn't cost two hundred and fifty million dollars guaranteed? Didn't have to cost all the draft equity and do- doesn't cost you the massive public relations issue? Like do, yeah, I yeah. think they'd probably be they'd still be good. I think the way that so like just to kind of give you an idea of like the way I think that they saw it was they were sort of looking up Mount Mahomes, so to speak. And I think they were saying to themselves, can we build a team that can win 11 games? Sure we can. Is that team ever going to be good enough to beat Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, and Patrick Mahomes in succession without having a quarterback who can at least put us on a level with that guy? And the answer they came to was no. (laughs) You know, like, and that was, I think that's sort of what it was is like, what you're talking about is winning a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco, winning a Super Bowl with Eli Manning, winning a Super Bowl with the second-year Russell Wilson. And we all made a lot of those quarterbacks at those times, right? Which is great. You won a Super Bowl. You should. They, they, those guys should get a ton of credit. But those teams weren't about those guys. That Giants team was about the defensive line, right? Both the Giants teams that won with Eli were about the defensive line. The... The, the the Joe Flacco Ravens and the Russell Wilson Seahawks, those were about running game and defense. Like, and I think the broader question here is, can you win that way anymore? Essentially, can you win with the 10th best quarterback in the league? And I think the Browns' conclusion in trading for Deshaun Watson was that you can't. Was that you cannot win the whole thing with the 10th best quarterback in the league or the 12th best quarterback in the league, especially in the AFC, where it's not just beating one, it's beating three guys who might be at that level. And that's what I think is really interesting about the bet that the Browns made on Deshaun Watson. It wasn't just Deshaun Watson can get us into that club, like can get us inside the velvet rope. You know what I mean? Like where the Chiefs are, where the Bills are, where the Bengals are, where the Chargers are. Um, it's also that if you aren't inside that velvet rope, you have no chance at all. I think that there's something to be said about, you know, because I've made this argument with the Patriots where I think that they're version of roster building has passed them by we talked about this last Mm -hmm. week this is a talent hoarding league but you know like you said it's interesting right deshaun watson is right now depending on how you look at it probably the 22nd or 23rd best quarterback in the league it would take a pretty strong effort to wind up as like the 11th or 12th best quarterback in the league here and so it's to me i'm just looking at it as you know, and and listen, there are Browns fans all over the map on this. I'm not telling anyone what to think or what to do, but wouldn't this team have been a blast if they just like I don't know held on to Baker or like and I, and I understand like okay Ma- Baker is like a very polarizing word, but like Josh Dobbs, like you know, or, well especially you know, so, if you especially if you keep Baker at like ten million, like yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you like because that's but that's the problem with it, you know, is like. That wasn't the context under which they would have been able to keep Baker. They would have been able to keep Baker under the context of he's getting a huge second contract. He's getting contract. a Daniel Jones kind of contract. Right, right. right. Like, so you can say that now because you look at Baker and Tampa and it's like, oh, my God, like that looks pretty good. And they're paying almost nothing for him. But the Browns didn't have the option to pay almost nothing for him. You know, right. like, the, like just like the Giants, like no one else was paying Daniel Jones $40 million. Why did the Giants? Because they sort of had to. Like right. when you when you take a guy that high, that's the price of the second contract. And I and I know logically it's like easy to say, well, why didn't you just refuse to do it? Well, 
it's really hard to let a guy like that just go to the market and risk not having a quarterback at all. Yeah. So, you know, I, it's, it's a complicated thing with quarterbacks, and I think it was the way the Browns saw it was it was a chance to level up, and it's not that they didn't like Baker because if they didn't like Baker, they wouldn't have picked up that fifth-year option in the first place. It was more like we need to get inside of this. And, and you know, I think what's interesting about it too, Connor, is that maybe it's a little conference-specific too. Sure. You know, like cause if, if you're, you're in an the NFC, NFC, do you do that? Yeah. Right. Right. Because if you're an NFC team, like last year, the NFC championship game was Jalen Hurts. All due respect, he's a really good quarterback. But is he Burrow or Mahomes or Allen? I don't probably level down from that. Right. Sure. Like where, you know, it's it's Hurts versus Purdy in the NFC championship game. Well, if you're an NFC team, you might look at it and say, like, all we got to do is we can get to the Super Bowl with this quarterback. And then it's just one game. It's different if you're in the AFC where you, you might you might have to beat three of those guys consecutively. Only note I have from this game that we kind of didn't get to. I mean, obviously the McCaffrey injury. It I'm assuming shows, we're taking this as like health permitting a hiccup for the Niners, right? Uh, yes, 100%. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, but outside of that, um, Amari Cooper played out of his mind in this game. Um, that might have been the best game that I've seen him play as a Brown. Yeah. Um, and I think... What you're seeing is, again, it, I'll put a bookmark on it by saying if Deshaun Watson plays the way that he did against Tennessee at a consistent basis for a long period of time, I think that this team could make it to the conference title game. That wouldn't surprise me. The defense is that good. Um, what surprises me, and this is the only other what-if scenario. So, you know what would be fun? If you were the Browns, would you trade for Derrick Henry? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, say Deshaun plays really well on Sunday, right? He comes back, plays great. Would you, like, throw the Titans a second-round pick for – or second- or third-round pick for Derrick Henry? Yes. Is, is, is Derrick Henry <laughs> Der- – you tell me. You know. Is Derrick Henry on the block? Can I don't know if had? he's on the block. I don't know if he's on the block, but if you're, like, the new general manager in Tennessee, you're Rand Carthon – I mean, do oh. you do you think about it? If somebody offers you a two, right, and he's in a contract year anyway, and you have to calculate what you're willing to pay him. And remember, it's always a little more it can be more expensive to keep your own players than if they go elsewhere, right? Like, would Derrick Henry be willing to accept less to stay in Tennessee? I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's something to consider, especially if Tennessee potentially could take a quarterback this year. You know, so. I I think like it's it it would be interesting if the Browns got a really good game or two out of out of Deshaun before the trade deadline here. That their buy isn't coming up. Is they don't know they already had their buy. They already had their buy. So mm-hmm. if they got a really good game or two out of Deshaun Watson and maybe got that feeling, oh, wait a minute, we're kind of close now. If you're them, do you trade for a bell cow back to sort of take the place of Nick Chubb, be that placeholder for you? So you can go chase something in November and December and January. Um, it's a fun idea, right? It's a fun idea, but then it goes back around to my... But that would go like so against the way that they've run their organization too, so I don't know. <laughs> and then it just goes back to my point that it's like if you're doing all this, what was the point of getting Deshaun Watson in the first place? But again, anyway, I, 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 I understand the move from a calculated on-field perspective. It's just interesting to me that this the, sort of your signature win of the D. Podesta, Andrew Barry, you know, that thought group comes without um, your 
quarterback on the field, which is just kind of funny. But um, let's move on to the other undefeated falling, the New York Jets beating the Philadelphia Eagles at home. I'm just saying this right now. If I'm Woody Johnson, the first thing I do this morning when I wake up in the Maldives on my yacht, um, because that's what you do after a game, right? You have like a four o'clock game as an owner. You can sleep in like... In flight. Yeah, you can sleep in flight. You can be in the... What is it? The Mediterranean? You can be sailing. Um, you I think the first thing the I do is like get myself a nice cup of coffee and go sit on the deck of the yacht. You know, like of that, the yacht. That's, that, I think that'd be the first thing I do. Maybe before whatever you you're saying you're going to do is here. It's it's possible if you're a billionaire to wake up in the Mediterranean every morning and have your coffee and then just be back in Teterboro, you know, and and just show up at the Jets facility at like one or two. But so when I do that, if I'm Woody Johnson, I'm walking through the door at like two o'clock, I'm tanned, I'm rested. I've had like, I've had my breakfast in Greece. I feel great. Um, I'd give, I'd extend Robert Sala's contract. Like, wow. I, I, I just think, okay. And that team say, is, I, that team is so much fun to watch. There's, but, oh my God, that team is so much fun to watch. Here's what drives me nuts. Like, you know, and I, I say this all the time. I live in New York. I listen to the fan every day. I think it's awesome. I think the fans are awesome. I've covered the Jets and the Giants. I know these people. But, like, how do you not realize where you were as a franchise three years ago? You are you are in games against the Eagles with Zach Wilson as your quarterback. Against like, the Chiefs. Against the Chiefs. You were one Taylor Swift conspiracy theory call away from beating the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday Night Football. Like, Three years ago, you were zero blitzing a Hail Mary against the Raiders at the end of a game. You were paying Le'Veon Bell. Like, this team was terrible. And now there's, like, like they did the hard work. They earned it. G- give them the money. This is beautiful. Like, I feel like their games are so beautifully chaotic. You know what I mean? Like, and it's such proof to me that, like, in this sport, it doesn't need to be 450 yards passing for it to be entertaining. No. Like, they are such an entertaining team to watch, and they can win three to nothing, and it can be so entertaining because they create chaos on defense. They're hard to play against. Their offense has playmakers. They're scattershot, but their offense does have some playmakers and Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall. And, um, yeah, man, I talked to C.J. Mosley after the game, and um, – you know, I asked him about like how you know he's he's sort of in an interesting spot because like his last two football stops were Alabama and the Ravens, right? And so he was part of maintaining a tradition in those places, you know, like maintaining something on defense. And now he's been part of building something with the Jets. And um, you know, he was saying like how high a standard they hold for hold for each other and how high the bar is now for the defense. And it's such an interesting thing because of where they were when Salah got there. And so I think what you're saying is like the ability to set a high standard the way he has and have a locker room that's sort of taken ownership of that and now they're setting a high standard. And that standard is like impervious to a quarterback injury, you know, where a lot of times when a team loses its quarterback, especially when so much is built around that quarterback the way that it was with the Jets – with Aaron Rodgers, like the strength of that operation to be able to withstand that. And there's no like mourning period or there's no like, oh, like that guy over in the corner of the locker room. It's not even a mourning quarter. You went out and you beat the Bills. Like, (laughs) it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, and it's just like you can – 
I always feel like the teams, like you can see when a coach has really rubbed off on his teams. Like the best Belichick teams played so smart, right? The best Andy Reid teams, they look really creative. Even the players, the way they play looks creative, right? You can see Salah's energy rubbing off on that entire team, the way they play, you know? And so um, there's talent on the roster. Joe Douglas has done a nice job of making that a very, very athletic roster across the board. They've got superstar, like, cornerstone players. And, again, your Wilsons, your Halls, your Quinton Williams, your C.J. Mosley's, your your Sauce Gardner's, almost all of them. Mosley, obviously not, but mo- almost all of them are homegrown. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I'd extend him right now, but I would think about it because it's clear that that team buys into what Robert Sala is selling it. To me, and, again, I understand people who don't see it this way, but and I'm just throwing this out as an example, but like if you were to somehow extract coaching effort and ability and all that kind of stuff into a number, like a wins above replacement number, you know, what would Robert Salas be compared to, you know, like we talk about Bill Belichick being a great coach, Sean Payton being a great coach, Andy Reid being a great coach. How much harder has Robert Sala had to work than all of these other people, maybe combined, to get this to a point where, did you see Zach Wilson yesterday on the two-point conversion? Cool as a cucumber. Like when he hits Randall Cobb for that go-ahead, Zach Wilson is now using his mobility to pick up first downs. There is a competence in his game that we've never seen before. Like all of this stuff is happening live. Like they're just, they're just doing it. And I, I just, I'm so amazed at how high the talent has come to where it was at the beginning and two years ago. I mean, you know, you and I go to these training camp stops. We go to these things. I remember Zach Wilson's first few practices. It was awful. And to see how far it's come is and maybe I'm too like close because it is the closest team. I I see it up close more often, yeah. but it's just like, man, I mean, to me that this is the best coaching job in the NFL and I don't think it's even close. Right. So they're 3 and 3 now, which is pretty amazing considering toughest like, part of your schedule is kind of behind you too. Right, right. And so like and they have that carrot out there too that Aaron Rodgers somehow wasn't on crutches. What is it? Six weeks after an Achilles, throwing the ball so, around. I mean, I don't know what he's taking out there in California. Um, maybe we could all use some of it. But I know, like, if he gets back, like, I mean, if if you have that out there for you, and the potential of Aaron Rodgers walking back in in the middle of January, and um, I mean, it's going to be tough to make the playoffs in the AFC, but. I'll tell you what, like, they beat the Bills. They look like they've got the speed. They're one of the few teams that has the speed to run with the Dolphins. And they're flat out better than the Patriots, right? I don't care what happened a couple weeks ago. (laughs) Um, They're flat out better than the Patriots. Like, you could see how that team could sneak in as a seven seed. And if they do, you know, maybe there's a guy wearing number eight on the other end of that for them. Oof. Um, my only other thoughts from this Jets game, Albert, are, you know, you look at, um, you know, and, and 
I'll put this to the side. The Eagles are the Lane Johnson thing really is the only takeaway for me, right? That is the only thing. If you're an Eagles fan, you care about, I don't care about this loss. You're not going to go undefeated. Jalen hurts is going to have a hiccup game where he throws three or four picks. That's going to happen every now and then he's still a young player. You know, he's still accumulating information in the league and you're playing against a great defense. I don't really subscribe to that. The jets defensive game plan was great. I mean, they bring in guys from the secondary, they flood the run, the run gaps. They plug that up. I mean, Jeff Ulbrich, I thought did an awesome job there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's Lane Johnson at this point, right? Um, you know, that's my major takeaway. If I'm the Eagles and the jets, my major yeah. takeaway is I can't believe that you're getting Garrett Wilson, the ball eight times a game. That's pretty good. Whenever like Zach Wilson's your quarterback and you're getting Garrett Wilson, the ball eight times a game. Like that's yeah. not bad. Yeah. I mean, I, I think on the Eagles, it's similar to my takeaway with the, um, with the Niners, you know, where the Niners, like your takeaways, you're, you come out of it holding your breath on Christian McCaffrey and um, and Debo Samuel. And oh, by the way, like it looks like they dodged a bullet on Trent Williams, but that would have been the most catastrophic one of all. A hundred percent. Like yeah. losing Trent Williams. I'm I, like, and I'm not trying to diminish what Debo and McCaff- McCaffrey are as players, but like losing Trent, like would have been really, really bad for them. And it's the same thing, you know, with the Eagles. Like you come out of that one, okay? Like that didn't go our way. Um, but those games are going to happen. Now let's make sure Lane Johnson's okay, you know, um, because so much of the personality of that team runs through the lines of scrimmage, runs through the four players that have been there for over 10 years and Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, Brandon Graham, and Fletcher Cox. And um, it's like why they've been able to be so good through like several, I guess, reimaginations, like re, like not rebuilds, but retools, right? Because that the, the offensive line, defensive line have always been like steady and really good, and um, you know you take like a, a piece like Lane Johnson out, and it definitely threatens the whole thing. And it's the one spot where it's really hard. Tackle is a spot where it's really hard to just make it work. You know, if you if you lose one of your starting tackles, there's almost certainly going to be a drop off to the next guy, and um, there's it's gonna there there are going to be less creative solutions that you're going to have on the table. To fix what's what what what's going to be left when they got, when you lose a guy like that, I think uh, I think Lane Johnson would play with a broken leg like Jack Youngblood. Where did he play? He played with what was it that he played with? He, there was something right. It was like a I torn groin, like a completely torn groin, wasn't yeah. it? Like he just it was something. Yeah, you're right. It was something like like that that was very painful sounding, like groin torn off the bone or something like that. Ew. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public... 
the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. All right. We mentioned Belichick. That wasn't where I was going to go, but I did. I do want to touch on this. I have... Uh, I have something. So uh, your buddies, uh, Toucher and Rich, 98.5 out yep. there in uh, uh, Boston, they had me on to atone for my uh, Patriots AFC pick, which I did gladly, I think, in this business. Was it a full, like, falling on the sword then? Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, okay. here's here's the thing. I think we need to, uh, and I, I've said this before, you need to introduce a little humility into this, Albert. Yep. Like, if we're going to go out on a limb, we have to fall on the sword because otherwise people are going to think we're just out there trying to to Just taking them. swings. Yeah, and... and I, I've said it I've said it a couple times. Like I went out there to watch training camp to confirm what I had heard. I was talking to coaches in the NFL and they're telling me the one coach I still hate to face is Bill Belichick. He's still got it. He's still got it. I'm talking to coaches in the college space and they're saying, Wait do you see what Bill O'Brien's got coming from Alabama? And I'm thinking, Oh my God, and they're getting Ezekiel Elliott. Look at how good this is gonna be. Not the case. Okay. The problem is the players aren't just the players suck. Yeah. So, (laughs) um, but so I, you know, I, I fell on that sword. Um, but they brought up something that was so fascinating. And depending on what time you guys listen to the podcast, you should be able to read it on SI.com. If not, it's coming soon. Um, they asked me this. And so then I wrote about it too. Would you trade for Bill Belichick? I would. In a heartbeat. Let's say he's available. Would you trade a first-round pick for Bill Belichick? I would. 100%. Would you give him control? Yes. And here's why. Can I tell you my my whole yeah. thing? All right. I'll, I'll be quick because I know that no one cares about this but me. It's my fantasy world. If I'm picking 15 to 22, 23, 24, somewhere in that area, I'm a good but not great team. I am spending my first-round pick next year to get him as coach emeritus slash consultant slash defensive coordinator. He gets to coordinate the defense, which is what he's excellent at. And then all of his other free time, I want him wandering around the building. I want him grilling people. I want him asking questions. And I want him telling me what he thinks as an owner of what is happening in my organization. I want him to identify Tom Brady type players, players who are going to work harder than everybody else. And I want to give him the platform to allow that stuff to surface. I want Bill Belichick to be my McKinsey and company, but it costs me a first round pick instead of $220,000 an hour. What do you and think? He's coaching the t- and he's coaching the team. And he's going to do the defense. And so like I have a young guy, like maybe like a Kevin O'Connell. He's, he's co-coach. Kevin O'Connell co-coach, does. Co-coach, okay. Yeah. So are you talking about him essentially being Parcells in Miami then? Yeah. Okay. What do you so, think about that? Let me ask you this. If you are Josh Harris in Washington. Yes. Would you, and you decide, and like, look, like I'm not firing anybody there yet. They, they're three and three. They've played relatively well. Sam Howell looks good. Like I'm not firing anybody there yet. But let's say that thing goes the wrong way. And you are looking to, you're looking to gain some credibility as an NFL owner. 
Because I think that that's the play if you're hiring Belichick, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I think there are two two real trends in hiring coaches right now, and that's the young offensive mind and it's the ex player. Both mm-hmm. have worked, right? Like, so we've seen it with McVay and Shanahan and McDaniel and all those guys with the offensive coaches. We've seen it with the ex players with Dan Campbell and Mike Vrabel. Now D'Amico, it looks like that one's really going to work out, right? Like, so we've seen both those tracks really work, right? So you it have to be outside of that. So what sort of owner would be looking for something that would be outside of that, that maybe would want to do something a little bit more risk averse, that would want to gain some credibility among NFL owners? Hiring Belichick. That's how you – I mean, to give your organization some credibility if you're a new owner, you hire Belichick. You know where Belichick's from, right? Annapolis. Yes. So it's right there for him. So do you bring him in in that Parcells type of role and let him hire coaches and let him hire front office people? And, you know, that's sort of like Parcells did that. And people forget that that sort of worked like in the immediate aftermath. Like that worked. Steven Ross was a new owner. And like that first year, Tony Sperano came in. Jeff Ireland came in. Yeah, they won ten. They they were they're the only team. Wasn't Chris Greer part of that somehow? Like huh? he's been there forever. Chris Greer wasn't. Yeah, he, he was. Part like, of he, that was like, he was. He was like the college scouting director. Or something. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. he knew Parcells because Parcells worked with his dad, Bobby Greer. That's right. Okay. So, but like, you know, it, this is another thing, one of those things. Like it's like the Favre thing with the Jets. Like people say, like it didn't work at all. Well, it kind of did, and then he got hurt. Right? right. Like, so this is this is the same thing. This is like. It worked with Parcells for a year, and then like I think Parcells got tired of the job and was like, and 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 then it was sort of over after a couple of years, and then all hell broke loose when it was over because it was like a substitute teacher type of situation. You remember they flew to see Harbaugh when Sperano was still the coach, God rest Sperano's soul. But like there was like all that like the hell all hell broke loose after Parcells left. But while Big Bill was there, if you look at it, they were one in fifteen the year before, right? Cam Cameron was a disaster. Like, I mean, go back and read this stuff from 2007. A complete disaster, as bad as it gets. Like, I think, if I remember right, um, one of the linebackers, was it Channing Crowder? Like, might have challenged him to a fight in a team meeting or something like that. So it was, like, as bad as it gets. And the owner was new. Stephen Ross was new. And he needed credibility. So he hired Bill Parcells. Bill Parcells then basically took the infrastructure from Dallas and put it in place in Miami and they won the division. Now, that was the Matt Castle year, but that was the only team other than New England to win the AFC East between 2003 and 2019. The only team. So it did work. And I, I think, like, unless Belichick is so consumed with getting the Shula record, which he might be because he's close enough, but unless he's really – like, that might be the play, is Washington hires him as – it's like executive vice president of football operations and then allows him to stock the front office, to stock the coaching staff and the owner gets instant credibility. That was the play for Steven Ross in Miami in 2008. And I could certainly see it being the play play for Josh Harris at some point over the next couple of years in Washington. If Belichick becomes available. I I pre-stocked the no offense to Belichick. I pre-stocked the coaching staff, but um, just (laughs) because I think, I think like I, um, Tom Curran, who we both uh, love and respect. I mean, he he had a great point. I thought post game with the Patriots and this coaching staff is very small. 
and it's very overworked, and I think it's very overmatched outside of your main guys, right? Outside of Gerard Mayo, outside of, um, you know, Bill O'Brien. I mean, this is not comparable to your standard NFL coaching staff. Matt you know? Patricia vindicated? Maybe. Gosh. Wouldn't that be weird if that's the one thing that comes full circle this year? You know, all the way back around is like, that. Matt Patricia was actually not a bad offensive coordinator. I don't yeah. know. I mean, hey. I think there are a fair amount of misperceptions about him. Now, I don't think it was like the right move to hire, you know, Matt and Joe to run the Patriots offense in 2022. But like, I do think like 23 has given us a very full picture of what they were up against last year. Yeah. Um, this game wasn't necessarily super exciting for me to talk about. Um, I, there was the Mac Jones kind of like rollout airmail interception. There was, you know, some bad tackling. I thought, you know, McDaniels, I guess, did a decent job of creating some space with this offense, but it's a plotting victory. Um, for me at this point, my other big question here is like, if you're the Patriots, do you just take this all the way at this point? Well, they got Buffalo and Miami the next two weeks. You get Buffalo. So, okay. So you're one in six. That put them at one in seven. One in seven. Caleb Williams is close. I don't know, Albert. That's my other question. Is like, you're one in seven, and then it's like, that's October 29th. Do you start offloading? Yes. Because, like, you don't tank, like, right? Like, because it's hard to. What are you offloading? I don't know. I mean, you know, what's everybody taking from you? But. just start cutting guys. <laughs> I mean, whoa, that's weird. They cut. They cut their starting offensive line. <laughs> and then full circle. Where did Cliff Kingsbury start his career? Who's tutoring Caleb Williams now? Oh, there you in go. New England with Bill Belichick. Come on. There you go. There you All go. Right. We figured it out. Um, boy, that was. Uh, I mean, if anybody wants to talk about this game, I, 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 I don't know what to offer you. Um, I, the only thing was, I would, I, the one thing I would offer, like, and I do think the Raiders, the, the Raiders deserve some credit here. The last two weeks, their wins over the Packers and Patriots. Yes, these are these are the games they lost last year. Yep. And I do think, like, one thing Josh McDaniels was trying to do was bring in guys that would give him a smarter, more more resourceful, more situationally more situationally aware team. And like guys like Marcus Epps from Philly and Robert Spillane from, from Pittsburgh. And I do think to some degree you see that stuff showing up. Will it make them a playoff team? Probably not. But they're, they're better in those situations than they were. If they can scrap to like 9-8, and eight, do they make it to next year? Yeah, I think so. I think Mark Davis is... I mean, look, like he's very involved. Um, he still has those colorful meetings post game uh, with his head coach, the way he did with Gruden. But I think that I would think he gets another year. Yeah. Lions and Buccaneers. This was one that I had an eye on because at Tampa, I mean, that division is just so up for grabs. Dude. This was one of these games that I thought that the Buccaneers could come in and they could surprise people. You're wearing the creamsicle uniforms. And I don't know. I mean, yes. The Lions scored 20 points. You only scored three. It's a failure. I do think that holding the Lions to 20 points is pretty good. And you basically just had a busted right. long Jamison Williams touchdown. I do think that I'm I'm still in on the Bucks. Uh Baker admitted he played a bad game. Um, but I don't know. I mean, this is the Lions, I mean, the Lions only rushed for 40 yards. Yeah. Like so, like and this is a team that's been running the ball on everybody. Now Montgomery got hurt, and that's a factor. Um you know, and Goff winds up throwing for 353 yards, which 
again, like I, people are reluctant to give Jared Goff credit for anything, but he's a really good quarterback now. <laughs> like for those who are paying attention, like, and this is a team that can win different ways, you know? And so the lines, we said it last week, this isn't a Cinderella story anymore. Like, I, I don't know. Like, like I'm not going to tell you they can't like pull an upset of Philly or San Francisco in the divisional round. And oh, I suddenly... think it's yeah, I think it's totally possible. Like yeah. this team should be looking at a potential potentially at representing the NFC in the in the Super Bowl. Right, right. So like I don't think I think you're right not to take away too much from the Bucks if we do look at the lines in proper context and that like they aren't just like this cute story. They're a legitimate like NFC power now. And um, and so, like, yes, Baker is going to have to be, be better in situations like this. But the Lions have made a lot of quarterbacks look bad. Yeah, um, I am now really the NFC South. I think I care more about at this moment than I ever have in my life because it's just it's totally wild. Um, and it's everything we thought it might be. It's every it is. It's everything we thought it might be um, at this point. Let me just fire up our Google machine here. Three and two, the Buccaneers. Three and three, Falcons. Three and three, Saints. And then the 0-6 Panthers. Um, Everybody in that division lost uh, yesterday um, following a win. And then the Panthers have lost six in a row. I I love it. I absolutely love this. I think, yeah, the Saints and the Buccaneers are the only teams with positive point differentials in the division. And, uh, God, it is just... It's so much fun. It's so cool. Um, again, I'm not out. I'm not out on them yet, though. I, I I think that this was one of those games where we're gonna look back on this at the end of the season and say, actually, they they played them pretty close. They played them pretty well. And this was one of those games where you just needed a next level player under center, and and you don't have it. You have a a, a game manager plus, which is yeah. fine. It's just it, you know. And it does feel like Atlanta, Tampa, and and New Orleans. They, there's talent on those rosters you know um i think like what we're seeing the separation at now and this is like i feel like this is like always oversimplifying it but it's a quarterback right like ritter throws three picks yesterday against washington i think two of them were in the end zone and that's really right now the difference between atlanta and the saints and the bucks not that the saints and the bucks are outstanding at quarterback but they've got got guys who've led teams to the playoffs that are steady, um, you know, and and so like I, I think coming out of the first six weeks, you probably look at Tampa and and New Orleans as the teams. I like I think they're going to be the two teams standing at the end. And I, I'm a guy who picked Atlanta to win the division before the year. I just I worry right now about Ritter being in these high leverage situations. I maybe underrated that a little bit. Like Ritter being in these high leverage situations at the end of games where he's the one who's got to make a play to win. It's all good, Albert. You know, some of us pick the Falcons and Desmond Ritter to win the division. Some of us pick the Patriots to win the AFCs. Like these are things that happen. You know, you have to uh, you have to let it go. My only does that mean I need to go to on Atlanta sports radio now? (laughs) (laughs) My only game thoughts here were I thought just a hell of a job from Aaron Glenn. I thought the the Buccaneers were going to go down and score. They kind of had the RPO game working at the end of the half, and then just totally shut it down. They batted down a pass at the line, and then uh, switched the field. And then right out of the half, 
they caught the Buccaneers kind of being aggressive. They thought they could kind of stuff the interior and blitz off, and then all of a sudden kind of some big gains, and they start moving the ball. So Yeah, just, and the resurrection of the Lions defense has been unbelievable. Like Aaron Glenn deserves a lot of credit. A lot of people wanted him fired a year ago at this time. Like They were historically bad, you know, what, through six, seven, eight weeks mm-hmm. of last year, and uh, they he's turned it around, and that's a top-level defense now. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Hi, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. The Jaguars, um, Albert, and the Colts, the Jaguars are now winners of three straight, coming off of the 2-0. The the London thing is, I, I never thought of how big of an advantage it was until um, uh, Jamison Hensley, uh, who covers the Ravens for ESPN and, and does a really great job, sort of a legend on that beat, did an oral history of the Ravens' first uh, London game, where they got their doors blown off of them. And um, to hear players admit on the record how tired they were and they had arrived on Thursday for the London game and then coming back. Um, you know, it is, it was one of those things where I finally had total sympathy for a situation where you're flying overseas, you're totally adjusting your body clock. And it's, it's a real advantage I think for Jacksonville now to come off of that and to come home and to get a big win against the Colts like this. I, I thought that was huge. Yeah, and I think it's and the crazy thing is now they play on Thursday night. They got to go to New Orleans on Thursday night. So I think they um, could. I think they could lose that game by two scores, and it's just one of those like it is what it is games, you know. Yeah, yeah, but but I mean, I think like this is one of those things that can be galvanizing for a team. And we're uh, there were a couple of plays that Trevor made in that game. Like Trevor, you know, I I look at like the throw he made to Ridley in London. I can't which one was it. The first London game. It was, I think it was to beat Buffalo, right? The one he made down the sideline to Ridley. It was like a third and four or a third and three. And, and like, I, I think it was, I, I, you know what? I think it was Buffalo because they, they, like, Buffalo was going to get the ball back and they were down by like four and they went to the line and basically Trevor saw something at the line and checked to this play where it was going to be Ridley 35 yards downfield and just, put a dime on him you know and you can sort of 
like feel like the 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 Trevor from Clemson coming out and the the, the talent around him. Like Etienne looked unbelievable against the Colts, and he looks like he's really starting to break out now. And he's he got scoring. This, oh. He's scoring. He's yeah, he's right. getting the ball into the end zone, uh, which right. all ETN fantasy people from last year are like. Yes, this is what we thought was going to happen. Yeah, so it, it, it just it's they should win the. All due respect to the Texans, who've done a lot of nice things. The Jaguars should run away with the AFC South. The Jaguars should be a 10, 11, 12 win team at least, and the Jaguars should be a problem in the in the playoffs. Because I do think Trevor's got the ability to be that type of quarterback. Like, I think if there's someone who has the ability to level up to the Allen, Burrow, you know, obviously Mahomes, like that tier this year, I think that that's who it is. Like, I think it's Trevor. And um, and I think you're seeing signs over the last three weeks through a really challenging stretch for the team that he's going to get there. Yeah. I think once we see – and this was – listen – Playing Shane Steichen and Gardner Minshew, uh, you know, the latter part of that, Gardner Minshew doesn't seem intimidating on its on its head, but Shane is one of the best play callers in the NFL. I think a logging a win over these guys, no matter what, is, uh, is a solid. But I do think that in order for us to fully realize the potential of the Jaguars, we're going to need that defense to rise to the level of the young talent. And I think it's getting there. Um, yeah. I thought that, you know, like we we often kind of judge these teams on some of these big plays and you know i think that they were kind of maybe maybe a guy was a foot to the left of having a tip ball pick six like we're we're very close to some of these things being very regular occurrences in jacksonville um really only one total blown play that i remember which is that big jonathan taylor gained before the half but otherwise you know, I, yeah. I think it was solid, right? And you did pick off Gardner Minshew before the half. So it's like, you know, I don't know. I, I think they're almost there. I think they're, I, like you said, very close to being a dominant football team, which is exciting. Yeah, yep. no doubt. Saints, Texans, um, and then we're going to get Albert into our lightning round. Um, what, how did this happen? Um, I think this, part of this uh, is we should take time five, six, seven weeks into the season to just stop and be like, how are the Texans this good? How did it happen so quickly? What do you know? What did you know about the Texans that I apparently did not know? You, you, you're, you're plugged into CJ Stroud. You guys, you guys are best friends. You guys ate at the same dining hall. I get it. You know, but how, (laughs) how is this happening? I like, I just think it's, I mean, I don't like, I don't want to like boil it down to just the coach, but I think like what D'Amico's done is he's brought an energy to that building and you can see it in the way that they play. And they have gone and to Nick Casario's credit, like he has gone out and got pieces that fit what D'Amico is trying to build past just the quarterback. And, you know, to go out and to draft Will Anderson who plays so fast and, is the exactly the type that he wants to bring in veterans like Jimmy Ward, um, you know, to to, to put D'Amico in a, in a in a situation where he can start to weaponize young guys like Petrie. Like they they have, I think, more talent than people realize. More talent than I realized. They've got a young player who's really feeling it now, and um, you know, I just think like after the it's almost like the last two years. Um, Going through, they went through with the Deshaun thing lingering for as long as it did, and then the Jack Easterby thing, and then 
you know, having two older coaches, um, you know, and, and Lovey Smith and God, why can't I even remember? David Cully. David Cully. Like to have two older coaches and then to turn now to D'Amico Ryans, who is who is young and who comes from the San Francisco system and who has who who played in the league. Like I just I think you can actually see the energy on the field with the way that they're playing. And I was so impressed. I mean, obviously everybody's impressed with how CJ's played, right? But I was so impressed that they were able to get that done early in the year. And Bobby Slowick probably their offensive coordinator probably deserves some credit for this too. They were able to do it with four starting offensive linemen down. Mm-hmm. And they're starting to get healthier now. But to be able to get CJ Stroud rolling the way they, they the way that they were without their starting offensive line out there. And with I think, you know, some receivers that are promising guys like Nico Collins, but still might need some time. Um, it's just so impressive. I mean, D'Amico to me right now would be right there with Sala and maybe a couple of other guys for my coach of the year. Um, Dan Campbell, I think, would be in that mix too. Um, but D'Amico's done a phenomenal job of getting everybody bought in and getting everybody playing a certain brand of football. And again, I know that sounds like I'm talking in generalities, but um, you can see the speed and the energy with which they're playing. It's really, really clear when you watch their games. To me, the mark of a team that is entirely bought in is uh, the moment when Stroud throws a pick, the Saints pick it off, and yep. then the Texans' offensive players are punching the ball out of the defensive guy's hands. Like That is all hands on deck, well-coached football, and then you go down and you uh, and then you score on that drive. It's a complete momentum changer. Um, yeah, it, was, it was Nico Collins, actually, who... like. You know, ran ran down. I think it was Zach Bond, right? Who had the yeah. pick? He runs him down. And I talked to CJ after the game, and he said, "You know, it was so interesting because he said, like, and you think a guy who has this streak of no interceptions, what was it, 191 throws, right? You'd think that guy's playing a really careful game. And he's like, no, like D'Amico's message to me throughout has been to be aggressive and to take shots. And he's like, he explained to me what happened on the play, which is really interesting. He said he was trying to move the linebacker with his eyes, and the linebacker didn't go. And he was just like, look, it's the NFL, man. The guy made a good play. He's like, but that's not going to stop me. He's like, I know conceptually I was doing the right thing, and the guy made a play on me. But that's not going to stop me from taking chances. And then, sure enough, what was it, two plays later, he hits the big one to Noah Brown, and they're scoring a couple plays after that. So um, I don't know, man. I think, you know, over the – Next couple of months, we're going to dig into something that came alive in C.J. Stroud in that national semifinal against Georgia because he plays the fearlessness now that I think is really noticeable. And again, it sort of fits what D'Amico is building there in Houston, I think, too. You know, what and it's amazing is- to have that. It's amazing you have that fearlessness and that aggression, and you're still not throwing any interceptions as a rookie. You know, yeah. like I just think that's really, really interesting. You know what your problem is, though, Albert? You mentioned he was trying to move him with his eyes. He should have tried to move him. You move someone with your hands. Only psychics can move people with their eyes. You know? That's yeah, pick them up and move them, you're saying? Wah, wah. Not funny. All right. Um, we are going to the lightning round. Uh, Baltimore and Tennessee. Thank God we have no more of these early morning games. We don't live in Hawaii or Los Angeles. This isn't how life is supposed to be. Um, <laughs> I was super, super 
hopeful that Malik Willis would have taken command of this thing and marched them down and brought them back into this game. I thought he was going to. Didn't happen. Baltimore gets a big win. And to your point, Albert, I think this is a team with a lot of attractive trade pieces, and I just wonder what the Titans are going to do here. Yeah, two and four. Their quarterback's hurt. They have a bunch of guys that are either at 30 or close to 30. I know they just did re- redid Kevin Byard's contract. I would think Kevin Byard would be attractive to somebody, right? Um, DeAndre Hopkins, you just signed him. Would he be attractive to somebody? Derrick Henry, do you, do you field phone calls on him? Um, I mean, obviously, they're not going to trade like a Jeffrey Simmons or a Skaronsky or any of those guys. Um, but, you know, I do think that there are some older players in the roster where – you know, Christian Fulton has kind of fallen out of favor there. If Buffalo were to call on him, would you listen? Guy who's got starting experience as a corner. I just think, like, the Titans have to be sort of open to everything now. And it's going to really – it's going to be hard for Vrabel because I know how competitive he is and he's not going to want to be playing out the string with, you know, with replace, with essentially replacement players. But I think it's sort of the crossroads that they're at with the core that they went to a conference championship game with, with a few years ago, it feels like that group is like sort of aged out and they're taking the bullet from a cap perspective with all the dead money this year. And so this sort of makes sense as the time to offload some weapons for some draft capital, especially if you're looking at potentially drafting a quarterback in April. For sure. Um, Vikings and bears, Justin Fields dislocates his finger. Albert, mm-hmm. I think that is the the takeaway. I mean, nice def- nice defensive win for the Vikings. Um, you know, I thought that was probably over the last few weeks they've trying to establish the run. I thought they've been playing yeah. better defense. I think they're getting better. So you know, I think that that deserves to be mentioned here. But Fields's finger. I mean, I feel like this is you know that's kind of the big takeaway here. Yeah, I don't have a ton to add. I mean, I just think it's you know the Bears have to get answers on Justin Fields and something like this gets in the way. And he was really like playing pretty well. He built some momentum against Denver. I know that game didn't end the way that he would have wanted it to, but built some momentum and playing pretty well against Denver and Washington. And it felt like they were figuring out the right way to use him. He didn't play well early in that game. And that's the other, you know, sidebar to this whole thing. But certainly like with, you know, a injury to his throwing thumb, that's not going to help them get a final answer on whether or not he's their guy of the future. I did. I, I I wanted a Tyson Badgett revolution though. Shepherd College, man. I mean, I was so excited for that. That's like an NCAA. Lots That's of arm, you, ro- lots of arm wrestling talk. I know. Um, if you look at the Twitter update for Justin Fields right now, all you get is uh, somebody in a Justin Fields uh, uh, jersey like sucker punch somebody at the game yesterday, and that seems to be making the rounds. Don't do that, guys. You know, just uh, you know, wait in line for the bathroom about, like everybody else. I have a theory about that. I think it's like. I think it's because like you have there's the the secondary market is so active now that you have more got more people in the stadium that go to one game a year, so they get just <laughs> they just so, want to get they, they just so want to get all they, they can out of it. So they just get so blacked out the, in, in the parking lot, and they don't have to worry about their season tickets getting taken away because that's like what prevents a lot of fights, probably right? Like is like if you if you're a season ticket holder, a you're probably not getting just lit up in the parking lot every week, right? Like and b you're concerned that you might have your tickets taken away. If this is a one-off thing for you, then you're less worried about that, you know? So that's just my theory on why we're seeing more fights in the stadiums now. I blacked out at one football game in my life, a college football game, and uh, I mean, it was it was so unenjoyable. I, a, little, a little time travel? 
I I drank like, you know, and I, I, I don't drink anymore, but I drank a lot of old granddad in the parking lot. And then I remember the kickoff. I remember like the first three plays. And then I woke up uh, midway through the fourth quarter. And I was like, this is terrible. Why do people do this? Um, but, you know, I, my maybe... You know, I don't know. I don't like throwing on a Justin Fields jersey and looking to UFC someone in the in the line for the bathroom. That's not something, you know. I have a I friend know. who I have a friend who um will, will remain nameless who and we're producer not, Shelby. We're not Just young. Kidding. We're not young anymore. Um who may or may not have puked fireball through his nose at the national championship game three years ago. Oh, and that so, was the game, by the way. That was the COVID national championship game. So there were only like fourteen thousand people in the stadium. He was he was like t- swooped away and then uh, landed yeah. in some. Well, here so better my, better days for Justin Fields and Mac Jones too. Better yeah. days for those two. My only follow up there though is this something that he does on the reg or was it one of those things where it's excusable no, he because he tried he, to light it up? You know, he, he doesn't do it well. So he's <laughs> he's my friend who was. He's my buddy who – do you have a friend from college? I think everybody does who you'd go out – everybody go out drinking on a Tuesday and it would – you know, you'd be out till like 4 in the morning and then like you wake up at like 11.30 a.m. and he's walking back from class. He's already – he's been to like three classes already and looks like he did – looks like he went to bed at like 10 p.m. the night before. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that's that guy. Yeah. And like it's even though he was like slumped over like a speaker – like in the Beirut room the night before, like he is somehow has attended three classes by the time I've woken up and I feel like I got punched in the face 15 times and he's like, like going to work out, you know, like he's that guy. So some people, uh, you know, some people can handle the liquor a little bit better than, than others. He actually was the one who the Notre, Notre Dame weekend, I was afraid that he wasn't going to be sober enough to drive to the Chicago airport the next day <laughs> and was totally fine. So even now, like he is, uh, yeah, he's a warrior. He's a warrior. Big props to Albert's uh, buddy. Uh, some heroes just, uh, they don't wear capes. Um, Falcons, uh, commanders, the, just so disappointing for me. Like this yeah. was the game. If you're the Falcons, I wrote about this on Friday. Like they have to realize, and I'm sure it, it's not like they don't realize this, but there were some soft pockets in their schedule. And as much of a slog as this division is going to be, you got to pick up these yep. games when you can. Yeah. And to lose this one was heartbreak, heartbreaker for them. Yep. Yeah. And, and they, I mean, they're, it's, so interesting what they've done at quarterback and whether or not they're going to pay for that now. Because I do think conceptually it's the right thing to do. Like you don't want to – I don't know that I want to sell out for a Derek Carr or a Jimmy Garoppolo if I were them either. But it does feel like treading water waiting for something – something they want to go all in on to come along. Like how much time do you get to do that? You know, Because I yeah. do think that they've done a nice job building up other parts of the roster. And it's a well-coached team, but – you know, in today's NFL, you know, you get into the fourth quarter and you can't pull those situations out. You know what I mean? Like, because, and I don't want to put it all on Desmond Ritter because it's not all on Desmond Ritter, but are they asking too much of him right now? I don't know. Yep. Um, you know, Atlanta's defense, I thought they played well, especially at the end of that game. You know, they're, you know, Grady Jarrett getting back there and trying to get the ball back. And Ryan Nielsen, I think, has actually done a really nice job. I think he's probably yeah. and, the guy. And quietly, 
quietly has the best mustache on the Falcons coaching staff. Uh, Sorry, Arthur. It is. Some guys can do it and some guys can't. And it always makes me wonder, um, you know, if you're if you're getting work done in that. Are you getting that like steam pressed? Are you getting yeah. that? You know, is there I mean, some sort of like, additive there? There has to be like there has to be some product, right? I would think. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're I think you're juicing a little bit. Um Cincinnati and Seattle. I mean, on paper, probably one of the bigger games of the week, but also the you know the Bengals are just like, no, we're good now. We're back. Um, nothing to worry about here. We're, we're beating good teams again. Um, I still don't know how Burrow is existing uh, on the field and playing every down and stuff, but it, it, that's what it is, and that's I, where we're at. I So I I thought, I think they did a really good job to get to the bye at 3-3. Three and three. Like, And I think like to be able to win two in a row now and Joe put together, I think, six quarters of really good football. They weren't as good in the second half, right? But six quarters of really good football, four against Arizona, two against Seattle, and now he's got a two-week layoff until his next game. It feels like that's a team where it could really come together with him because the defensive line won that game. Like, if you watch the end of that game, like, it was Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard, um, DJ Reader, BJ Hill with a big play at the end of the game. Like, the D-line won that game for them. And the secondary bailed them out in big spots in the second half. Mike Hilton had a pick. Cam Taylor Britt had a pick. I, I don't know, man. Like it just it feels to me like if Joe can play the way we know he can play, and I think the two week layoff will help him get there. If he can kind of replicate what he was for six quarters over against Arizona and then the first half against Seattle, I think the Bengals jump right back in there as an AFC favorite. Yeah. And they're starting to do the things as an offense where you can tell they're feared again. Like they got a, a Seattle team. I mean, Pete Carroll's very fundamentally sound, you know, at the yep. end of the first quarter to jump off sides, you know, uh, on a fourth yeah. down. And, you know, they're doing those kind of things. And, you know, obviously they score on that drive too, but they're doing the things that a very vaunted sort of feared offense can start to do again. And I think those are the things when you see the defense being manipulated again, when you see the defense playing a little bit scared, that's how you can tell. I think that there is that inherent respect for Burrow again. And, uh, you know, uh, all of a sudden my Bengals Super Bowl pick doesn't look so bad again, which is nice. That's right. That's right. Um, Miami I got them too. I think I had them winning it, but anyway, Miami and Carolina. And all I got to say is I do the, um, I do our best bets with SI and some of our gambling crew, some of our football writers, and we have to pick against the spread. I'm a wild card in our staff picks anyway, Albert, but um, I am one and five now picking against the spread. And I thought the Panthers could, with 13 and a half points could have made this remotely interesting, but uh, apparently not. It was 42-21. Um, the Dolphins, I think, have gained more yards than like three other teams combined at this point. Yeah. Um, it's wild. I like the... I, I, I do like the um I do like the fact that they came from behind. Like cause I think that that's the one thing maybe we hadn't seen from them quite as much. Um and look, the Panthers aren't very good, but for them to be down fourteen to nothing and put their foot on the accelerator the way that they did, um and Mike McDaniel mentioned it to the team in the locker room after the game on the video there that they put up where um there was no like I thought it was interesting the way he put it to his players. It was like there was no come to Jesus meeting, which like a lot of times in these situations, you hear those stories about how like someone said something on the lo- on the, in the locker room, or someone said something in the sideline, or there was some side of adjust- some sort of adjustment. And I I sort of liked it how Mike was like, no, 
Nobody said anything. He's like, he's like, and I liked it that you guys didn't have to say anything. We knew what to do, and we did it. And um, you know, I, I think that's a sign of a team that's really confident. You know what I mean? That doesn't need that. Like that doesn't need someone to step on their throat to make it happen. And so, uh, yeah, I mean. The Dolphins are consistent, and like to be able to come back from that deficit, I think showed us something we hadn't maybe seen to this point. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's um, I, I like they're one of the five or six best teams in the AFC, no question. I'm not going to stand for any Bryce Young slander at this point. I thought too I early. That the scripted first drive was flawless, and he's doing. Listen, he's doing all the things that you said, not you, the royal you. People are saying that he wasn't able to do. Like, he got absolutely plastered and hit like a 40-yarder to Thielen on that first touchdown yeah. drive. This team is just bad. It's a bad football team. And there's a reason that they were in the market for this kind of start-over franchise quarterback thing. This is going to take two years, but Bryce Young is incredibly accurate, and he's making throws quietly that none of the other rookie quarterbacks are making. And I think you can watch that game, and they're pickled with them. (laughs) My only other thing that I thought was hilarious in this game was even when they went up 14-0, they have the ESPN win probability metric, and they still gave the Dolphins a 55% chance of winning this game, (laughs) Uh, which I thought was very I hate those metrics so good. They don't make any sense to me at all. No. But maybe Um, that's because I'm stupid in in my 40s. No, we're we're uh, we're aging we're aging gracefully. Um, Twenty six to nine, the Rams Cardinals score here. Not a bunch of overarching thoughts on this, Albert. The Rams are at three and three, which I think you know if you would have taken the over, yeah. like I told you to, on their win total, uh, six and a half looks pretty uh, looks pretty. The Cardinals keep playing hard. The Rams ran the ball really well. Um, which I think is indicative of where they're going. Um, you know, like the 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 Kyle Williams has done a really good job for them in the backfield, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's sort of like the way I thought that game, what, the way you would think that game would go, where the Cardinals would hang around, hang around, hang around, and then eventually the Rams would wind up um, wind up wearing them out and running away with it. And so I don't think we learned a whole lot of new things, but. I mean, hey, Jonathan Gannon's got that group competitive on a week-to-week basis, and they're taking games into the second half every week and against good teams, so they deserve credit for that. Yeah, Kyron Williams, 158 rushing yards, um, and Cooper Cup's back. I, 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 I'll say this, and you know, I, I think for everyone that's wondering where the next evolution in this offense goes. I think it's such a good thing that Puka Nakua only has four catches. Yeah. He blocked his ass off in this game and you are, they're setting up so much more um, for the end of this season. That's why I, I think this team could go on a tear. I think they could win five or six in a row at some point, even though it's a tough schedule. Last one, Giants, Bills, angry Brian <laughs> Dable, always one of my favorite things. Uh, Greg Rosenthal, my old boss tweeted that, uh, Brian Dable is always good at making sure people on this uh, watching the game know that something is not his fault. Um, you know, there's <laughs> the there's the play before the half where he gets feisty and uh, you know they check to a run and yep. but this is what happened. You know, I mean, no offense to Tyrod Taylor, but this is what happens when you're down your quarterback. You know, yep. and I, I thought they played really hard in a difficult environment. The Giants are doing the best they can. This is also a bad football team. It's not a bad coach football team. No, there's a lot of guys trying hard. I think them a lot of Minis- coaches coaching them hard. In, them in Minnesota are the same. This was yep. the year they were taking the dead cap. This is the year that they were really going to reset. This was the year that 
they were going to kind of take their medicine after establishing their programs in year one. It's, I think, for both teams, the old Buffalo blueprint where, you know, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bede made the playoffs in year one, went six and 10 in year two, reset the cap, built up their draft capital, got a lot younger in year three, and away they went, you know. And so I think, you know, if you want to, you can look at those two teams that played in the wild card round last year in the Vikings and Giants, and you'll find a pretty similar, similar blueprint um what is interesting to me is buffalo i just i don't know what it is but like you see you keep seeing the flashes um where it's just i I, are you worried about them Mm, no more than i mean i picked them to go nine and eight and finish second to the patriots (laughs) so um You know, well, if you had them uh, finishing behind the Patriots, then I guess they're overachieving. Yeah, I, I think they're doing great. I, I think we all thought this team was – I think they're due for a little regression, but they just – They have such a high ceiling. Like I, I just think – like I don't know. Like it's – but you do see like when they lose Tredavious White and Kyrie Elam's in there, you know, and Elam does not look great. It's like, oh, well, there's, you know, a missed first-round pick. So is that going to cost them over the course of the year? It'll be interesting to see how that team evolves um, because it this did feel like one of those games where it was like, all right, Josh, put your suits, put 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 your cape on and and, and get us through this, you know. James Cook with five point one yards per carry. Are we? Seeing, he looks good too. Are, yeah. are we seeing the and and right? I mean, my only thought here is that it didn't look great with Isaiah Pacheco at first, and it looked sloppy. But now they can win games with the run game, and that was everyone's complaint about this team for right. the Chiefs for years. Are we seeing the Bills kind of forcing themselves to do it the hard way? and to build themselves for December and January again. And I don't know. I mean, running on the Giants, okay, but they do have some good interior players. I thought their backers are playing hard. You know, is this the first sign of, you know, maybe some progress there with the run game? I don't know. Yeah, and James Cook I think is interesting too because he's a little smaller. So you wonder if they're going to have to manage the damage on him a little bit. Like he does look like Dalvin the way he runs, but he's just not – like he's not as big as Dalvin, you know. So you do wonder is that going to catch up with them over time? I I know they're cognizant of it, you know, and and having to manage the amount of work they're giving him just because of how big he is. All right, Albert. Thanks as always, dude. We crushed this one. No errors in this podcast. This is the podcast equivalent of a no hitter. I'm in such a good mood. Maybe we'll start a Patreon, and you get to go with Albert. Um, on his drive home from Foxborough. You get to stop at Dunkin' Donuts with him. He'll there do it go. live on video. Leave us a rating interview and tell us what you think. Absolutely. Also, be sure to tune in for Matt and Gilberto in the Thursday spot. Thank you guys again, as always. We love having you here, and we'll see you next Monday. Storm and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council.